0: It's so nice to hear your property today.
1: I am no longer in a fishbowl. <laughs> and that is, that is great for thr- everyone. You so need my, to explain
0: to people what happened.
1: Uh, what happened was um, uh, I'm stupid is what yeah. happened. I'm a big dum-dum. So uh, when we were recording two weeks ago, I noticed something was going on with the audio. I didn't know what it was. And I tried to play with it. I called Nick, whatever. Turns out I was not using this expensive microphone that we're still paying off i was using my little webcam mic and i'm so paranoid i'm still like flicking the webcam mic to make sure it's, it's definitely not on i'm definitely <laughs> using the real mic and i was so bummed out because when you record two episodes it, it, you're just stuck so i just yeah. knew the next one coming out i was still gonna be in a fishbowl but i am out we have the the beautiful Sound quality again, and there is much rejoicing.
0: So and I, I was—I've been checking my my uh, my settings like five times to make sure I'm not falling into the uh, same mistake.
1: Right, because you can make fun of me for like
0: two weeks. Exactly on Twitter exactly. when I'm not even
1: on Twitter. Exactly it's been the great. Hey,
0: I'm at I'm at nine thousand followers now.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: I just hit 9,000. Worldly 000.
1: glory, my friend. It is I know, fleeting. totally worldly glory. It's totally <laughs> fleeting.
0: Uh, no, it's good to hear you properly now. Yeah. I, well, and we've revealed another secret, right? People mm-hmm. found out now that we do two podcasts at once. I
1: think they knew that. Do you I guys think know knew that? that too. I think no, knew. Now you
0: know. If you didn't know, now you know. We're there busy there. people. It's mm-hmm. hard to record every week. So exactly. this allows us uh, the freedom to be able to do this. Um, so I had a little interesting thing today. I was feeling a little... I don't know down this weekend i guess oh yeah i don't know it just it happens it's also super gloomy and rainy here all the time so uh that can definitely probably affect you as well but I and because it's to...
1: canada isn't it like dark 24 7 there don't you guys live in like in the arctic circle where like the sun doesn't shine isn't that how that works is 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 that not how is that not how canada w- works
0: anyways i was at lunch today uh, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with my mic. I was just giving him an angry silence. <laughs> I I was at lunch. T- I uh, my day of rest today, so I went to I went to McDonald's just to grab some lunch and yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think did I mention on here about the uh, the Protestant pastor I met?
1: I don't think you did. Oh, okay. I thought we weren't so-
0: allowed to talk to Protestant pastors. Uh, we are when we are talking about church fathers.
1: Oh, that's dangerous territory.
0: It is dangerous territory. For them. <laughs> yes. So uh, I met them a few weeks ago, and we had a great conversation. And I was like, I went there today. I was like, oh, I wonder if we'll, I'll run into them today. Because they go there often for co- Him and a friend go there often for coffee. And sure enough, there they were. And we ended up talking for like an hour and a half. And it was just a, really, a real joy to be able to share, to talk about faith. I don't know about you, but it's... It's weird. As priests, we, we talk about Jesus literally all the time, and it's and I like talking about Jesus, but it's sure. always in a formal setting, like you're preaching or you're teaching. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's podcasting. very rare. Yeah, podcasting, exactly, uh, tweeting, um, mm-hmm. but it's very rare to just sit down and, and have conversations about where you're at in your spiritual life, what's going on in your heart, what's going on with your walk with Jesus, with other people, like, When I go to the parishioners' homes, I don't know, maybe it's just the way things are. It's hard to put a a finger on it. But um, it's very rare to just talk about Jesus with people informally. And so it was a really nice treat to just sit down. We're talking about the church fathers. We're talking about uh, history of the church. We're talking about sacraments, um, all those awesome things. We were also talking about um, spiritual poverty um, what's it like, how do you address spiritual poverty in the pews? Mm. Um, all those really good things. And I was like, man, this yeah. was, it was what I needed today. Actually. I was like, okay, good. God gave me a, <laughs> just
1: talk about Jesus for
0: a little bit. I was like so happy. Cause I'm like, it, it, that's what gives me life. Right. So, I mean, sure. I literally gave my life for that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when it's hard, when, when you're sitting down with people and just talking about, I don't know, the latest football game, as fun as that might be, it's it, it can only it can only take you so far.
1: Yeah, well, as lovely as as that whole thing is, what the people really want to know, Father Harrison, is what is your opinion about the finish of the headlining TLC match between Oscar, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair? The people are waiting. H- have you not? Have you? Did you not see it? Did you? Did Did you not see it? <laughs> So, for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, including Father Harrison, though he has a slightly, some kind of idea, producer Nick and I were hanging out just the other uh, evening. We were watching our WWE pay-per-view, TLC. Ronda Rousey ruined the last match, and uh, I just wanted to see if you had any opinions about that.
0: I have no opinions about it. Shame. I'm sorry.
1: I'm going to get you to watch professional wrestling eventually.
0: No. You will come to the dark side. No. No. Anyways, uh, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. And I'm Father Anthony. How's that for changing the subject?
1: Wow, yeah, yeah. You're just giving me the silent treatment. Exactly. Which is, which is great for podcasts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, uh, so we're on break, so I don't have to do a whole lot for the college. I've got all sorts of plans for... Next semester, I'm going to have office hours. I'll be able to spend more time with the college students. We're going to do some ad orientum uh, at the mass. And I'm going to go hunting in all of our parishes for any loose uh, liturgical items that are being used to make the altar all fancy as much as I can. So I'm excited for all that. And uh, just getting ready for Christmas, man. It's coming up soon. I have bought no presents. Producer Nick, you don't have a present
0: yet. I'm uh, the same. I haven't I haven't gotten anything yet either. <laughs> yeah. It's for staff or anything. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I gotta get on that. Yeah, you
1: know what it hit me this uh, uh morning when we were recording the seventeenth, it was either the antiphon or the collect. Because so once you get to the seventeenth, the the prayers kind of pick up pace. And it was yeah, talking it's the, something. It's the antiphon. Of, yeah. So it was talking about uh, you know, Christ coming soon. And I was like, Oh my goodness, if Christ is coming soon, that means I need to buy presents for people. Oh, so that was a thought I had. during. Do you practice. hate shopping as much as I do? I do. I'm also terrible at gift giving in general. Yeah. I'm bad at gift receiving. I am bad at gift giving. If we're going to use the ever favorite language of love languages, gift yeah. giving is just super foreign to me. I do not speak
0: it well. So Yeah. yeah I hear you. I i don't know i used to like shopping but as i've become a priest there's well there's a few things A, i don't like everyone's like what do you want for christmas i'm like uh, amazon gift certificates yeah money money <laughs> is always nice that's crazy you know, pay sounds. down some pay down some student loans or mm-hmm. something you know uh so yeah you know money or or amazon gift cards i've been getting actually so far I've been, there's a great really really good german restaurant in town so i've been getting a few gift certificates there, so I'll definitely use those and, and then gift certificates to the local microbrewery. I have a feeling when you get a lot of beer this Christmas Nothing
1: wrong with that. Nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with that. With consumables for presents. Right.
0: The problem is if I get so much beer it might actually go bad if I can't drink it all.
1: What if what, can't you just refrigerate beer? The beer some beers can only last so long. Oh really? Huh. Interesting. Yeah. You know what you could do? You could do what producer Nick does. I, I want to share someone he will buy gifts for people. And every gift will have his face on the gift. So last year. Like socks? Like socks? Not just socks. Last year, producer Nick bought a hundred shot glasses (laughs) with his face on them and just gave them out to people. He's got a Santa hat on and he's on a shot glass and he just passed that out to everyone he knew whether they liked it or not.
0: So if you want to shoot Nick, there's your chance.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not what that means, but yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, mm-hmm. I got no transition, so it's time for Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa
1: Tweetologica. I'm, I'm very disappointed in you.
0: I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. I don't know. My brain's a little You could have been today. like, hey,
1: let's take a shot at our next uh, segment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I all mean, right, that's hey. bad, but you could have done it. It's true. It's true. I don't know. My brain just isn't working transitionally today. We'll see. Okay. what. We'll see. I don't know. Anyways, we'll see if I can get something uh, to to work to, for our next segment. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to start off with at Cantare, Amantis. Mm-hmm. His current name is Marks Gregorian Rance. He says this. It's actually two tweets. Uh, Tori and I, I'm presuming that's his wife, are thinking about not doing Santa with our kids, and people are flipping out about it. What if your kids tell their friends that Santa isn't real? It'll ruin Christmas for them. If that's all Christmas is to them, maybe they deserve to have it ruined. (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) Brutally true. Yeah. Yeah,
1: what's your opinion on this?
0: The more I've been pondering this, well, there's, I have, I have two sides to this opinion. Yeah. On the one side, I take the very, um, Tolkien view of fairy stories and how kids are made for the magical and the, the fairy, uh, and, uh, how th- it, it builds up an enchanted worldview. So I'll, in that side, I'm like, yeah, this is, this could be a good thing on the other side i'm like yeah but the way santa is presented nowadays it's it's in a very kind of commercialistic tone yeah and it really gets in the way of the reason for the season doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't enhance it it gets i i think i would take the which a lot of catholic families do i take the the third way which is saint nick traditions Uh, oh yeah what are your thoughts
1: well first of all um I mean, for parents who have kids listening right now, you might want to just skip over this part because we're talking okay. about this. <laughs> I hope we didn't ruin anything if we let it slip. But anyway, uh, I don't think. Okay, first of all, you can do either. You can have the Santa thing. You yeah. can not have the Santa thing. I think we both agree on that. It's fine. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I've got uh, you know, family friends uh, or friends who have families and young kids, and they don't do the Santa thing, and the kids are just as happy. Exactly. Uh, I just. I mean, I guess I don't think they talk about. it. I mean, I don't know how it works with um. kids friends but they have you know magical holy christmases they still do presents sort of thing but without santa claus um but i know i know those parents especially when they first started having kids they kind of agonized over this thing yeah which is a little bit crazy if you think about it yeah that we have to do that
0: yeah so and and yeah it's i guess my big concern about the whole santa thing is whether we like it or not, it can undermine the whole nature of belief.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, that's where I. That's where my hesitation about it goes. I. I think there are, and I. I do think there are other ways to encourage children in the enchanted worldview without, uh, the. And we have to also remember the myth. The myth of Santa is only about a century old. Thanks really to Coca Cola. Yeah, thanks to Coca Cola. Um, oh. Yeah, so. This is pretty is it in the in the grand scheme of Western history, it's still pretty new,
1: yeah, and it's
0: not necessary. and I think I think it's a, I think it's just the tweet's a good sign of the struggle we have between whether what what direction should Christmas take, not just on a small level but on the larger level as well.
1: Yeah, so I think if you want to do Santa, that's fine. yeah, but if you want to do something more Catholic, more focused on the liturgical season, um, to bring about that kind of culture in your family. I would strongly support that. But uh, don't freak out. If you want to do Santa, that's fine. That's exactly. Fine.
0: Whatever. Exactly.
1: Okay, so this is from We3Kevs at KevB123. He says this, Things I learned today. The Vatican has a football league with eight teams. The most successful club is not the team made up of Swiss guards, the highly trained bodyguards of the literal pope, but the Musi Vaticani, which, as you might guess, is composed of employees of the museums. So, the museum employees are the best Vatican football team. And by yeah. football, I'm assuming he's meaning soccer, right? Yes,
0: yes. And that's, exactly. that's,
1: that's beautiful to me.
0: <laughs> Why is that beautiful to you?
1: Because the nerds won at soccer. And that's, that's great. You know, we can all dream. You know, you don't have to be this highly trained Swiss guard... <laughs> You don't have to, you just have to have a good team, good team spirit, enjoying yeah. museums, and, and you can win at things. I think there's something beautiful about that.
0: <laughs> I, soccer is a sport of endurance. Yes. And it's a sport of wit and smarts. Uh, Which is you, why it's, I was never very good at it. It's chess on, on grass, essentially. And so in that sense, it does not surprise me that the museum team is actually the best, because wait, because wait, 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 wait. you have to like in painstay, Like, If you're in the restore, restoration department, for example, mm-hmm. you're painstakingly look at like millimeters of detail for hours and hours a day, and someone puts a big ball in front of you. I think they would see well. This is easy to hit compared to like that little crack in that fresco.
1: Yeah, but but given given
0: the criteria you just
1: outlined. Yeah, I would hope that those in charge of protecting the bodily health of the Vicar of Christ would be good at, like, strategy and teamwork. You know what this means, right? What's that?
0: You know what this means. What does this mean? That the people who work for the museum must become the Swiss Guard. Yep. They have to switch places. They have to switch places. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, excellent. Excellent.
0: All so, right. Cool yeah was a, it's it's a neat uh, neat thing um all right we gotta we gotta we had many people I've got a couple tweets we'll do either between this one and the next one where we got tagged a lot by people hoping that this would make Sumo tweet a logica
1: okay okay, yeah give the people what they want producer Nick oh my goodness <laughs> wait read the tweet how he meant to say it and okay. then read the tweet how he actually said it.
0: Bowl to go with white rice, chicken, no beans, mild salsa, medium salsa, cheese, guacamole, lettuce. Just tweeting this in case someone wants to surprise me with Chipotle. That's what he meant to say. Nice enough tweet. Kind of Very funny, nice tweet. Right. This is what he actually said and for some reason never deleted it. <laughs> Bowel to go with white rice chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like and father michael conway writes below him that would be more taco bell than chipotle <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay i've got a few things about this okay uh, one father michael conway is one
0: of the great priests of the
1: diocese of pittsburgh <laughs> classmate of mine great guy um uh, so producer nick nick Sciarappa, has terrible spelling he just does he has many okay. strengths Audio, yep. video, excellent. Keeps this podcast alive. He even wrote for a newspaper for like nine yeah. months was his job. But he can't spell worth a darn. And it's really funny. But why am I proud of producer Nick? Because he kept the tweets and he kept retweeting people's comments about him. <laughs> so he just dived into this humility. He's like, you know what? I screwed up, but it's funny and let's just roll with it. And there's something very spiritually profound to that in my
0: opinion absolutely Mm -hmm. and it was uh uh and it was when i first read it i just laughed i'm like did did he intend to do this super no super no hard no hard Uh, no (laughs) it was it was uh super funny yes okay uh
1: let's get a little more serious with our friend ethan stewievi oh yes yeah great one. We shouldn't pray for Jesus to make us better. We should pray for Jesus to make us more like himself. Thank you for that, te- that tweet, Ethan Stoivey. Uh because there can be a tendency to turn Catholicism, to turn spirituality into this self-help, self-betterment thing, and that is not what we are about that's We're right. about divinization. We're about entering more and more into Christ, letting Christ live his life in us and we living our life in Christ. Yeah. It's a huge difference. It's not the same as just being better. It's being Jesus. And yes. so in a short tweet, he did it very well.
0: Well, it's not just one tweet. He's got oh, a thread there. He's got a thread? Was the thread yeah. name good? Oh yeah, it was, it was, it was fire. I, at which point I think I tweeted back to him saying another, no, more proof that you need to go to seminary. Go to seminary, Ethan. Wow. Uh, The unfortunate reality seminary. Yeah, go ahead. uh, That's my job. That's my job. Mm -hmm. Uh, The unfortunate reality is that we are dumb humans informed by a dumb American culture and work ethic. Saying I just need to be better can easily twist itself into I need to have more deliverables to prove to myself and others that I am holy. Holiness doesn't derive from doing more holy things, it derives completely unite completely i think he means to say it derives from completely uniting ourselves to Christ being one with him as he and the father are one if we want to be one with Christ we got to know who he is lol so uh read the gospels like every day because the word of god wants so desperately to talk to you and change your life but we see a bible sitting on our shelf and curve it so hard in favor of literally anything else
1: beautiful you know what i like about the the crunch boys and what they're doing the more and more they're talking and thinking about evangelization and social media, the more and more they're just abandoning social media. And <laughs> it seems like trying to pray more. I'm like, there's something right about that. There's something good yeah. about that. You know?
0: So I know. Hats and, off and, to them. And I, th- I mean, he's 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 really getting at the whole therapeutic culture that we seem to have in, in North American Catholicism. I remember I went to a conference one year and I was really expecting to hear a lot of proclamations of charisma or whatever. And instead, I, all I heard was self-helpery. Yeah. Uh, and I, and these are people who are very kind of, I'd call, orthodox Catholics. And I sure. was a little disturbed by the term. I don't think it was like an intentional thing, but it was all about how God wants to heal you. How he wants to heal your emotional wounds and everything, which is all good and fine. Very important. But it's not what we're ultimately about. Mm-hmm. Right? And it, it kind of feeds into the North American therapeutic market that we are... You know, it's the Oprah and Deepak Chopra stuff that people love. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: the culture we, is, yeah. is sneaky, and, and we're yeah. breathing it on, in all the time. So I think we need to keep going back to the sources, keep going back to the church fathers, Amen. and examining how we're talking about things. Yes. Um, because a lot of stuff we're talking about is, is good, but we need to make sure time and time again, it's really Catholic. Um, because exactly. a, a, little, a little misstep, a, little, a few degrees off, and you're going to miss the mark. And we don't want to Exactly.
0: That. Exactly.
1: Patreon pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. If you are a Patreon supporter, either of the pastoral council tier, which is $5 a month, or the church lady tier, which is $10 a month, not only do you support producer Nick, not only do you help us buy our equipment and that sort of thing, but you also get your tweets read on our show, and any extra money we make does not go to Father Harrison does not go to me, it goes to the missionaries of charity. And I'll give you an update after we read this tweet. This is from Cody Teeford and he has chosen a tweet from Jake at Dadnista and it's simply a quote from St. Basil the Great. But, to, but whom do I treat unjustly, you say, by keeping what is my own? Tell me, what is your own? What did you bring into this life? from where did you receive it? Hmm. And this is where Jake is at his best when he's just quoting other saints. But you can ask the question, you know, am I doing anything wrong just by keeping all my stuff? And St. Basil is reminding us that nothing we have is really ours. And this idea of preaching a radical poverty, even to the laity, the ordinary Catholic, we can never let go of that. That's so important to remember. You know, that all that we receive is from God. And if we keep mm-hmm. that in mind, okay, how am I going to use my finances? How am I going to use my time? Remembering that it's really not mine and it's all going to pass away anyway.
0: What are we storing up for ourselves? Is this your way to try and get more Patreon supporters?
1: Uh, it's not, not my way to get more <laughs> Patreon supporters, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, if you read it that way, if the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart, your heart. Oh, as you listen Jesus. to this, well, man, I mean, who, who am I to argue with the Holy Spirit?
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, but he's right. And I think um, this is a big, it's funny too, because like, as priests, we tend to get a little sheepish about preaching, about giving. Um, but the fact is they're giving and giving not just out of our excess, but even out of our need is a big spiritual principle. Um, this is something Paul talks about I'm forgetting which community he talks to, but anyways, he talks, he, he praises this community in one of his letters. I'm being so Catholic right now. Paul says this somewhere, which I have, which I have precedence for because in the letter to the Hebrews, it says, as it says somewhere, and Beautiful. he quotes from Genesis. So nice. I'm being scriptural actually. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but Paul praises the community for not just giving out of their need or not just giving out of their excess, but giving out of their need to support another church and i think this is it's not just about giving to the church proper but it's just about i'm we have so much and i i mean i it's a question that weighs on my heart almost every day i'm like man i have i have a lot i need to be giving more i mean i'm trying to pay down my own student loans and stuff so that's a little different i guess but it's it's still it's like we've been given so much and yet we we tend to give away so little, but the gospel says it, it's that law of the gift again that we talked about last week. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Only when you give do you actually receive.
1: You know, it's funny. Uh, as a priest, you know what the enemy will, will use against me sometimes, whether that be my own uh, fallen nature or uh, otherwise? It's, oh, I'm, I'm a priest. I already gave my entire life to the church. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to give some money away. So I was yep. uh, at helping out at a retreat at this place called The Ark and The Dove. And it's actually the place where um, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal started. That's the location. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you, you stay in this room and they've got a little envelope and uh, they're trying to raise money. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm here. I'm giving for the retreat. Blah, 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 blah. But I was like, you know what? You just got to put some money in the envelope. Like everyone else, we ask people to put money in envelopes all the time. <laughs> you know, I can do it as a priest as well. So it, it's a good reminder for all of us.
0: Yeah. Great. Well, th- uh, thanks for the, uh, page- sorry. Father Anthony should say the thanks because he's got all the information in front of him and I don't. Yeah, so yeah. you go so ahead. You go ahead. Thanks
1: for the, the, the donation, Cody at Atiford. And uh, as an update of where we're at in our Patreon campaign, Next month, we should have been we should have paid off all of our equipment, which is great. We have paid off our um, SoundCloud account for the year, um, half of the equipment. By next month, we should do that. We're paying Nick Sciarraba something decent and reasonable. And by next month, we should have our first figures for uh, what we give to the missionaries of charity. We'll be able to cut them a check finally uh, next month. So that's really exciting. Awesome. It's really cool that you guys are, are helping us out with that, and we really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So... Uh, Saint Basil, it was talking about how we, nothing we have is our own, right? That yes. we need to take stock of of ourselves and our relationship with God. It's almost as if we have to index our lives.
1: Oh no! It's finally here—the index. Oh, no! That's my books! index comes to town we take your books and we
0: burn them <laughs>
1: <laughs> My My sweet, sweet oh. that's what i'm talking about man you got it in you i'm so proud and how about that index bumper? It's been a long time since we heard that
0: one. We've been meaning to do that for a while. We just keep on forgetting. A, well, not forgetting. We just uh we got busy and we we stopped reading as much as we should. So All right, let's get our book out. All right. So, um if, Are you a confused Catholic?
1: Am I I am I'm a confused human being, but also a Catholic at times. Yes. Right.
0: Well, someone wrote a letter to you. Oh, really? To me? Yes, just to you. Yes. Oh, uh, we want to talk uh, Arch, to uh, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, or as you would like to pronounce him, Lefebvre. That's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, so, we want to talk to you guys today about we we both read um, Archbishop Lefebvre's um, letter, open letter to confused Catholics, and it's a it's a book or, that he published. I believe it's in the 80s. Uh, I didn't actually check the actual date, but based on some of the stuff he was saying, I'm presuming the 80s. Yeah. Uh, kind of addressing, or at least his attempt to address his concerns and the concerns many Catholics may be feeling since about the ni- late 1960s and changes in the life of the, and teachings of the church. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so we want to just talk to you a little bit about that today. So let me get the book proper. Yeah. get my index here. So first here. of all, this yeah. guy. Yes. Uh, yes. The Archbishop. Who is, yes, who is Archbishop Lefebvre? Mm-hmm.
1: So he is, there... uh, is a bishop. Uh, there you go. Um, he spent some time in missionary work in Africa. Uh, why he's famous, if you will, is because he's kind of the founder of the SSPX, mm-hmm. uh, which um, infamously was declared... What's the word I'm looking for? Anathema. After they... We're told by John Paul II not to. They were
0: excommunicated.
1: Excommunicated. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They were excommunicated because John Paul II said, hey, Lefebvre, don't you you go around making new bishops? And he's like, I'm going to do it. He's like, don't you do it. I'm going to do it. And he did it. And so that excommunication was lifted by Pope Benedict because he felt like this is kind of an in-house family thing that we need to work through. Let's lift the excommunication. So that's kind of what he's most famous for, I guess. Yeah.
0: Red yeah. And so, for those who don't may not know what the, the SSPX is all about. Oh, yeah. Um, they they have a strong love for the Latin Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, they essentially anything that the council brought in, they tend to either have strong dislike for or total opposition towards. Yeah. The. The reason, so now they're not excommunicated anymore, um, but they're still not in communion with the church because they there there's still a large piece uh, of discussion around uh, the Second Vatican Council's teaching on religious freedom, mm-hmm. and it's a bit it's been a real sticking point actually for them. It, it's really the main, uh, it's the main hurdle. That's uh, been stopping them from making that last step. They don't reject, like even when you read the book, Lefebvre himself doesn't say the Novus Ordo is invalid. He never says that. that. He does not say that. And they don't say it either. They just have strong opinions about the nature and form that the Novus Ordo has taken. Um, So they don't, and they don't, because uh, even though they're not, even though they're not in communion, they they recognize the Holy Father. Uh, they recognize that um, the Catholic Church is the true Church. They they recognize almost everything it needs to be Catholic. They just uh, the Vatican uh, Congregation for Doctrine of Faith has said to them that they really do need to accept. The statement on religious freedom from the council, and that's been the kind of sticking point. Uh-huh. And if you're wondering why they're sticking on that, that's actually, I mean, there's a whole history as to why this is happening. It has to do with France a lot, um, French culture, French Catholic culture, and the nature of uh, church-state relationships that have existed there for a lot since the rise of the nation-state. So there's a lot of there's a lot going on with that. That maybe is too long to go into the podcast, but uh, that there's there's a bunch of reasons why this is a sticking point for them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so let's go first impressions. The one thing I really got from reading this is that there was a lot of weird stuff happening in France and happening across the world after the Second Vatican Council, especially um, liturgically. The oh the God. journal he's, he's quoting, the examples he's citing, you, you read them and you're like, oh my goodness, why were yeah. people doing these things? Yeah. And I I had heard stuff in seminary about how, oh, they had, you know, uh, lat, you know, uh, the Latin Rite Mass but with leavened bread and with beanbag chairs and with peop, uh, lay people preaching and you hear all this stuff and it's like okay fine whatever but to hear it from him and him quoting like uh, liturgical magazines and yeah, sources and even like write, homilies
0: yeah write your own canon for the yeah, Mass yeah write your own Eucharistic pair Holy like mode. Uh, what <laughs> yeah so you yeah. can see why you know there was
1: confusion at the time yeah. Uh, so like that really struck me as like, my goodness, what would it be
0: like to be a Catholic in this time? Yeah. To, to have to deal with that. Yeah. So he, in the book, he he has a whole, few, he has a bunch of chapters on um, different topics. So just to give you a sense. And you, if, you're, if you're, after we've given our verdict and you're still interested in reading it or not, uh, you can get it on Amazon Kindle. so that's that's, it's the cheapest way um so he addresses why are catholics confused uh he um why that they are dinosaurs new forms of baptism new priests new catechisms new theology ecumenism religious liberty um vatican ii is is the uh, french revolution in the church and so on and so forth. These are different uh, chapter headings that he gives. So we're not gonna go into, uh, there's actually a lot of chapters. The chapters aren't very long. Um, we're not gonna go into all of them. I think we wanna kinda address some of the broader strokes that the, uh, that the book kind of raises. Mm-hmm. So, and the book bases itself around kind of one thing. He, he asks the question, what has brought about the spiritual decline? And he his uh his answer to this solution is this: that the cat the Catholic truth is no longer seen as certain. Mm. That's his answer. What are your thoughts on that, Father Anthony?
1: You know, it's not bad. Yeah, you know, as I was reading this, I mean, I would like agree with him, agree with him, agree with him, and then oh, I don't know about that part. Mm-hmm. Like he would he would say a lot of things I would agree with him at the very end and be like, well, uh, I don't know. But as far as that idea that the Catholic truth is no longer visible, right? Uh, no, no, some,
0: uh, no longer, tr- that the Catholic truth is no longer certain.
1: Certain, all right. Yeah, that's, that's the impression people got. Yeah. And if you look at what was happening at the time, that seems like it. You know, there were definitely personalities and people and clerics. And to be honest, the enemy taking advantage of chaos mm-hmm. and changing by changing especially especially the liturgical rites and abusing them and not conforming them to what the documents of Vatican II and even the ones after Vatican II said, by abusing all of that, you hide away the truth and it feels uncertain. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, he tells about this trend that was happening that they weren't baptizing children in France. They would do a kind of dedication that kind of looked like a baptism but wasn't quite a baptism. And he was saying that people assume that their child was baptized, but there was no actual baptism. There was no Trinitarian formula. And then he compares a lot of this stuff over and over again to Protestant Reformation. And he talks a lot about Luther and how this looks like a lot of something that Luther would do. Or mm-hmm. uh, and you know what? I kind of agreed with him with those things, with those mm-hmm. abuses. Right. And if you're if you're you know messing with stuff like baptism. Like the most important thing, the thing that makes you a child of God, brings you into the church. Yeah. Uh, This thing that's necessary for salvation, and you're messing with that. My goodness, of course, everything seems uncertain. And then he would talk about uh, bishop homilies during ordination. uh, And there would be nothing about the sacramental nature of the priest. It would Mm -hmm. be all this kind of just servant leadership stuff. um, Even talking about how the priesthood is really no different than the priesthood of the laity and he brings up the question if the intention of the bishop is similar to what he's saying in this homily then is that ordination valid because it Mm -hmm. looks like the intention is wrong and so all these issues are striking right at the heart of who we are as catholics and like my goodness yeah
0: that's confusing so i didn't agree with his assessment I think it's an interesting assessment. Uh, There's a few things that really struck me as I was reading the book. His focus on truth, which is not a, you know, I'm not anti-truth, obviously. Um, Good.
1: We are (laughs) pro-truth at Clerically Speaking.
0: Yes, we are. But I don't think that's the problem Mm. For, for a few reasons. First, historically speaking, there were just as big crises in the in the uh, modernist crisis in the late 19th early 20th century and uh there were crises before that too like the 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 crisis of truth has always pricked and prodded at the walls of the church and i just i i've really this is um the 20th century catholicism is kind of my main area of expertise, I guess you could say with my, with my masters. So uh, looking at it more, I think it's not a crisis of of truth. I think it's something deeper than that. Mm. I think it's a spiritual crisis. I don't know if I've talked about it on here before, but I've talked about it elsewhere that I've really, I think we, we haven't assessed the damages the world wars did on us spiritually. Okay. And I think they've brought about a uh, a kind of they've brought about a practical atheism in a way because mm. oh, so historically speaking um church was kind of in decline the wars happened both wars and then after after the second world war, especially in North America, you see a real surge of um of religious practice. You see the Billy Graham Crusades. Mm-hmm. You see Archbishop Fulton Sheen uh, preaching and, you know, winning Emmy Awards and everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a real surge for about 15, 20 years after the war. And then the 60s hit and suddenly everything gets thrown out almost immediately. Yeah. That doesn't have, I think it's, I mean, it's a crisis of truth too, but it's, that's not the main focus. There's, it's, we stopped believing in a God who actually wants to intervene in this world, which is what modernism was trying to kind of get at. Uh, modernism really promoted this idea that God and the world are kind of opposed to each other. God, if he exists, is the divine clockmaker who sets the world in motion and we're left to our own devices. Um, and so spiritually speaking, with, this, with the wars, it kind of set us off to, okay, we, f- we see what we are able to do, so that put a fear in us, but after we got comfortable and secure again— Uh, we quickly fell back to our kind of our spiritual nihilism in the 60s and 70s and just kind of threw everything out. And and I I think this is why, you know, the the older generation, who's even just a little bit post-war, who grew up in that very strong time of the church, they still go to church today. And I think this is a reason why their kids don't, because because even those parents were spiritually malnourished they were not given the substance of the faith. They weren't given Christ himself. Uh, They were just in I mean, I hate to say it this way, but it was essentially pray, pay and obey. Mm -hmm. And when that's the way you're not forming the next generation, which is being inundated with a spirituality and an intellectual mentality that says, no, no, you need to think for yourself. And when that's being confronted at you day in and day out, and you're not being prepared for that, of course, you're going to fall away from the church. So yep. I I agree. I I I'm not saying that uh, it's a it's not just a crisis of truth it is a crisis of truth but it's something more than that. And it was it was the failing of the church to really form people into a deep life of fellowship with the Lord because if they had done that if we had done that their kids wouldn't have fallen away when the 60s hit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you bring up a really good point. I think it it's skipped over so often by um many who consider themselves trad is that we've talked about how this is all Vatican II's fault or all right after the council. Yeah, But the priests and the bishops who were doing these things, they had been raised in the liturgical tradition that I think both you and I have great respect for mm-hmm. and kind of want to bring back some of the spirit of that. They were raised in that liturgical tradition. So when we hear things like save the liturgy, save the world, or the liturgy will inform us, uh, no, it can't. I mean, there's, that's a huge part of it. But mm-hmm. if we just rely on that, it's not going to work. Exactly. Be- th- there needs to be a, a fuller understanding of what it means to be Catholic. And a yeah. huge part of that is liturgy. But we can't just focus in on that one issue and make that everything. Yeah. Because look at what happened. Exactly. Being formed in that tradition. I think
0: exactly. that's a really good
1: point that a lot of times we, we miss.
0: Yeah. There was a lot more um, going on exactly and this is the thing so this is one of the things he brings about in the book is how um, the Vatican Council really changed everything and I had two bones to pick with this first is he blames the council for the loss of beautiful churches and stuff like this Uh, I know for a fact of many churches that were built before the council that are not visually pleasing
1: yeah, you had the brutalist architecture and stuff yeah.
0: already going on before the council. Exactly. And they were already being built. So it's not the council's fault. And if you think it is, you need to just pick up a book and read an, uh, of of like architectural history of of the 1950s and you will see that that it's it was already happening. It was mm-hmm. already happening, okay? So there's that. The second thing it this is this was one of my main So I have a few beefs that we can bring up at the end, but this is one of the main beefs I had with the book. Yeah. was He keeps on blaming the council, but he never actually really cites the council. True. He only cites journals or newspapers or photos or personal experiences. He's criticizing criticizing what he sees to be the effects of the council without actually talking about what the council actually said. And he's sowing doubt in people's hearts saying, see, this is what the council did. But he never actually says what the council says to back up his opinion. Right. And I think that's dangerous when you're reading a book like this, because if you're not well informed enough, you're just going to say, oh, yeah, well, the council did all this.
1: Yeah. And that's what bothers me about critiques of the council even today, because they're very yeah. similar. This is all Vatican II's fault. Well, have you ever read the documents? <laughs> exactly. Like they, there's, there's nothing that even implies, in my opinion, the stuff that went on after the council. Uh, there's nothing in there that, repli- that implies the kind of liturgical craziness that happened after the council, or uh, understanding of baptism or marriage of the or the other sacraments. One thing he does critique um, mm-hmm. that he sort of mentions the council without quoting it, but it's definitely a development of doctrine. I think we have to call mm-hmm. it development of doctrine. Is the raising up of the secondary end of marriage. Mm-hmm. So we so the primary end of marriage, as we talked about before, is children. Right. But the secondary end is the union of the spouses. right? And he sees the council as raising that up, that secondary end, raising it up and making it kind of imply that it might even be kind of co-equal with it as the reason for sexual promiscuity and everything else. Hmm. I'm going to have to disagree with that. I think the understanding, the the growth understanding of the importance of the union of spouses, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, Um, it's a good thing. I I think I see where he's going with it, though, too, because I think the way a lot of people approach marriage still, though, it's that they see the union of spouses as the primary end.
1: Yeah, so I think it's not so much the raising up of the secondary end, it's the forgetting of the primary end.
0: Exactly. You know? You know, because I've met people, it's like, they've been married five years, and I'm like, so kids? Oh, well... No, we have some serious moral reasons for not having kids. Oh, what are those? Oh, well, we have a few more vacations we want to do. I'm like, that's not a serious moral Ooh, yeah, reason. Oh, Yeah,
1: that's not that's I mean that is
0: not a serious moral reason. You need a serious moral reason that it has that is it's you know, I, I, I get really frustrated by when young people are like, Well, we don't want kids yet. I'm like, Well then you shouldn't have gotten married. <laughs> Yeah. If you don't feel like you're ready to have kids, then you probably sh- aren't ready to get married.
1: Well, you know what? I think I want to save a, a, a little okay. bit of this conversation yeah. for later. And maybe another book we could read, uh, which I think is really good, is The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning. And um, the author takes a really good, like grounded in <clears throat> Catholic theology, not yep. unorthodox in any way, yep. um, but has a really good discussion about those kind of issues. Right. Um, but you know what, what I, I mean, what really is the reason for all this is not the talk of ends of marriage
0: no because no most people don't even know about them right
1: what it is is contraception yes that's what ruined marriage exactly can we do a quick sidebar on this because this is a thing so my my grand theory of everything uh part of it those steps is uh contraception is is the reason why everything is ruined Mm -hmm. because once you have christians embracing contraception it began with protestants saying it's okay and then catholics Being highly influenced by our Protestant culture, um, thinking it would be okay, and the great surprise when Humani Vitae was dropped, and the Pope just stuck with Catholic teaching, which for some reason shocked everybody. Yeah, Um, and then you had this huge uproar um, from the media, from even religious orders uh, saying we shouldn't, we don't need to believe this. Once you have that confusion, and then priests were afraid of this issue and never talked about it. What you've done when you've implied. That contraception is okay to use Mm -hmm. is you have said that God no longer decides what marriage is. Right. I decide what marriage is. Yeah. I decide whether or not there are kids. God is not involved in this process. And once you make that step that humans can decide what marriage is apart from natural law and apart from divine law, well, Mm -hmm. then humans can make marriage whatever they want it to be. Exactly. You wanna know where the confusion of marriage comes from? It comes from this removal of the primary end of marriage through contraception. Yeah. And that's Amen. something that we don't talk about a lot because it's tough because it, see, it seems like most Catholics use it. Yeah. And it's a very difficult thing. It's, it's an addiction and it's hard yeah. to break. Yep. Um, and I say this not to like just throw everyone under the bus. It, I, don't get me wrong. This is a short aside. It's a very difficult thing to, to work through, but we'd be remiss if we didn't speak the truth to yeah. Adult Catholics like their adults. So. Exactly.
0: Now it's interesting. I had someone ask me the other day, oh well, you know, they're saying, they're kind of lamenting uh the whole nature of uh that, you know, stuff like contraception isn't really talked about. I said, Well I said, I, I I hear that. But I said, I'll be honest, uh I don't need to talk about contraception here and they said, Well, why not? I said, Because no one here can have babies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an older congregation it's an older congregation yeah. talking about contraception is going to go it's not going to address most of their hearts i mean i think you can talk about it in the sense of like this is why things are happening or whatever as like an aside thing but not as like a like to make it a top of a homily here it just doesn't make a lot of sense because i'm not against talking about it i just don't think it makes sense here right it's just not um, gonna be primary for yeah. your preaching that's what people forget sometimes because yeah. uh, we, we yeah. uh, are
1: on Twitter. Second aside. For me, during Advent, uh, we're doing this podcast saying to a more universal audience. But our primary duty is toward the people in our parish. And parishes are particular. They have their own right. issues. They uh, have their own struggles. And our first job is to minister to them, not right. to Twitter and not to the podcast.
0: Yeah, exactly. So then, one of the main uh, critiques he has in this... In this book is a critique of of liturgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the mass. His he's really he really goes after the mass. Like I said, he he talks about experiences of priests um making up their own Eucharistic canons. Uh he he tells the story of how they had a mass where they had bread and wine on tables and that people could just help themselves to all the bread all the Eucharist they wanted, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like oh,
1: <laughs> right. And, I, 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 mean, I and again,
0: when you're reading this stuff, it's not. It might seem weird, but it's like I, I don't know. I think we're still old enough to have heard the horror stories, and I'm also incredibly grateful that we didn't have to put up with those horror stories. Right.
1: Um. Imagine was, being formed in the seminary at that time oh my when gosh. you were being taught how to celebrate mass, and that's how you were being taught. You know, a lot of times we we dump on older generations of priests, but who knows if we would have been any better you know, with yeah. all of that confusion, you know, yeah. and the authorities and the church telling you to do this, it would have been a very difficult time.
0: Yeah. So we, um, so he's really going after this and he, he makes some strong arguments for the Latin mass. He even goes on to say about how it's not, it's not wrong to make. Um, and I think this is actually one of his central points. He, he talks about historically in the 20th century, some different liturgical changes that happened that he thought were good things. Right, uh, for example, uh, the lowering of age of first communion, which is another s- story for another day, I guess. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, or the putting the vigil, the Easter vigil, back on Saturday nights and stuff mm-hmm. like this. He says these are even John the twenty third made some adjustments to the Latin Mass. He goes, "Those are those; those are all fine and dandy, but they were more like tweaks." And he says but 1969 comes around suddenly like it's just it's a whole new mess it's and a whole talks, new liturgy it's a whole new liturgy really right it's like yeah. it's not really grown out of the it's not it's not an organic change no and he's right about that yeah and he's and 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 pope benedict uh says the same thing so we're not being uh weird by saying this okay um, pope benedict says the same thing and interestingly a very interesting story around this is with Father Louis Bouillet. For, for those who don't know, Father Louis Bouillet is a, one of the great thinkers of the 20th century. Uh, he was a great liturgist. He is a convert from Lutheranism. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he was one of the main people who worked on uh, instituting Sacrosanctum Concilium. He, but he wasn't the guy who headed the, the work. It was a man by the name of Monsignor Bunini, who his whose name is mud to many uh, liturgists today, <laughs> to be some honest. Some people call
1: the, the Novus order the Bunini Mass, don't they?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> so one day, Father Bouye finally kind of submitted his resignation to Pope Paul VI. So Pope Paul VI calls him into his office. He goes, Father Bouye, what's going on? Why are you resigning? And Father Bouye says... Holy Father, everything I make a suggestion for, you're doing the opposite. He goes, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I make these suggestions. They come to you, and when I get back, it's something totally, completely different than what I suggested." He goes, "No, no, no. Everything I approve, Monsignor Bonini says to me that you did that. These, these come from you, right?" Which shows you the subversiveness that was at play there. And there was something vile in all that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's stick with that for a second. Yeah. Because this is the strongest and, yeah, the strongest critique against the Novus Ordo, the ordinary form of the mass that I've heard. And yeah. it's one that's difficult for me personally to argue against. So, how do we reconcile that with the fact that this is the mass you and I say? right it's the mass that i would say you and i both love as well yeah you know uh it's the mass i grew up with it's the mass that brought me to jesus christ it's the mass that's the reason why i'm a priest i Uh didn't even i really didn't know about the latin mass until i was in seminary and i learned that about that really from other seminarians uh so how do you how do you personally reconcile all of that i'm not
0: quite there yet i haven't made the reconciliation yet to be honest yeah um the more I've been studying things, the more I read people like Pope Benedict, the more I'm convinced that we really do need a reform of the reform. Yeah. I'll be honest. I just. Yeah. Uh, now, where I reconcile it is, I reconcile it just as Archbishop Lefebvre reconciles it. He says it's not invalid. Yep. Now, some of his concerns around some of the things that they changed in the words of the liturgy, like the promotis. Uh, as translated into vernacular, which was uh we it, it was translated as for the multitudes or for all initially uh, right, 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 right? Yeah. and he says that changes that's a, that's a theological difference and actually Pope Benedict changed that yes, he reinstituted the for many
1: okay so what part of the mass is that
0: uh that's at the institution of the Eucharist mm-hmm. at the at the at the it's, um so this is um this is something he sees as a really—he doesn't see it as, like, a, something that affects the validity of the mass, but he says it undermines what we believe as Catholics. And, he, and he's right about that, and that's why Pope Benedict made some of these changes, because he says right. we, we haven't been theologically correct about this.
1: Okay, so what that's saying, what the difference is, yeah. um, Christ dying for many versus Christ dying for all. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So when you hear that, you, your probably immediate instinct is, of course Christ died for all. But what's going on here is a more subtle— theological principle um for example uh, christmas is coming up and mm-hmm. we know the gloria you know mm-hmm. uh peace on earth to people of goodwill and you may think to yourself shouldn't peace be for all but one of the necessary parameters for peace is that you have a heart of goodwill to accept it right see how that's a little bit different like yeah. of course christ wants peace for everyone but only those with goodwill have the capability of accepting it yeah so exactly. the idea is that Same thing with Christ dying for all. Yeah. Only those of goodwill. Only those who accept.
0: Exactly. You have to accept the death.
1: Exactly. So
0: uh,
1: that's an important theological nuance.
0: Yeah. That you need to understand. Yeah. So he, and maybe we'll talk about this. This is another tweets. We'll talk about Father Matt Fish had a whole thread about.
1: Uh, liturgy the great, that, the great Matt, Fish we, we, Matt we, Fish. we
0: will talk about it on the on next week's podcast. And so if Much you Thilogica, follow me and
1: don't follow Matt Fish, shame
0: on you. Yes, total shame. Total. Shame, his because his content is, is way
1: more important than my content. His stuff so follow follow Father Matt Fish on yes. Twitter.
0: Well, we'll talk about his tweets next week, but okay. um, because we just we're already pushing it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a reform of the reform. I I the more I celebrate Mass as we celebrate it. The more stuff like, like for me, really, honestly, the crux is around ad orientum. Yeah, it's a big part. It's a big part. The more I'm thinking about, I'm like, I'm not addressing the people. I'm addressing God. But the problem, this is the problem is that we've, by addressing the people for so long, they unintentionally start to see mass as something that serves them. Mm -hmm. Father, why are you doing this? It doesn't make me happy or doesn't... Fulfill me this way, or doesn't do that. I'm like, well, it's not a about what it, it's not a, it's not that therapeutic culture we were talking about earlier, yeah. right? These changes, and this is this is um, the Archbishop's point, is that these changes undermine what the mass is in the minds of the people, and I think he's got a point there. Yeah, I agree. I think he's got a point there, and we need to do some radical rediscovery. I, I'm I'm still pondering this myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he has a bunch of other stuff too, right? He's talking about catechisms. And I mean, if you, uh, if you've studied at all 20th century Catholic history, you will, you will understand that. No, there was some really crazy stuff in the seventies and eighties, you know, seminary professors saying that it's normal for a seminary to have like premarital sex because it's a normal and, and healthy thing. And like, it was crazy. Yeah. And it wasn't just in the church. The seventies were crazy. Period. <laughs> Full. No, I just read a report today about a woman who was sixteen and was groomed by Woody Allen. Yeah. In the seventies. The seventies were messed up, morally well, think about, and
1: I mean the, ab- the abuses uh, committed by priests, the majority exactly of them, in that was time, in,
0: was in that time. Yeah. It was a messed up, messed up time, and we're just starting to rec- We're just starting to clean up our wounds from that. Yeah. So. The book, and I, I mean, he—it's just on a little small thing. I, I don't know if you noticed, he was talking about the cassock. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I get his points about the cassock and everything, but if you look at photos from even like a hundred years ago, you will see that priests did not always wear cassocks mm-hmm. in public. They wore clerical shirts still, so it's not—you know—the cassock is not something the priest has always worn, right? And I, you know,
1: I think we both like the cassock, yep. but to be honest i mean, I mean and there is a, a different impression when you see a priest in the cassock there's something a little different, but no one has any i think the if you're wearing a Roman collar of some sorts, you're witnessing I, mean, exactly. I don't want to nitpick with that because yeah uh, but anyway, um, you I was see just a like, lot of yeah
0: I was just more like he's going after the he's going after why we, we don't wear the cassock anymore I'm like, well, even in the And he's right to say that abandoning the habit and clerical wear in general is a bad thing. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was not always the case that priests always wore cassocks, even in the 20th century. So um, the question becomes... Yes. Is this book on the index? As for me in my house,
1: we are putting this book on the index. Okay. And I will tell you why. Yes, why? Because this, for most Catholics modern catholics this letter to open to confused catholics will confuse them more yeah Uh, i think the things he addresses we need to address but it needs to be us who address them yeah the time is different the the abuses are far far less and different and i would not recommend this book to an ordinary catholic Uh, i would i would file it under um maybe i would say seminary formation it would be important to read um those studying but for your everyday catholic and later on in seminary and later on in seminary right you it, don't want to get to like college seminary year or something like that yeah yeah because it's important to know and it, it's a good snapshot of the time and Absolutely. the thought process so it's a valuable work it's a va- yeah. valuable primary source but uh for the ordinary catholic i think this would cause more discord than help them and i think it's our job as parish priests to lead people through these things um in a way, in a better way. So I would say, yep, it's on the index. Sorry. Okay.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's on the index uh, for a few reasons. Uh, first, it's not really a letter to confused Catholics. It's more of a diatribe against the Church of the 80s. <laughs> right? He's not actually, he's not giving a way forward. That's true. He's just Going after all these bad changes, and uh, and some of them are worth going after. But the second thing, the second thing is reading it. I was just like, it disturbed me how much sometimes I found myself going along his line of thought, mm-hmm. and I recognized that I wouldn't. Be... That's scary to me, and oh. that's why I think a book like this ought not to be read by someone, especially if they have concerns about how things are in the church right now, this book would not help them spiritually at all. It would actually make things worse and it would make them even possibly more hateful of the church of Christ. Yeah. So that's my second reason. This is not the reason I put it on the index, but this is one of my major critiques of the, of the work is his way. He talks about truth in the book mm-hmm. is a very noetic way of, of speaking of it that is truth is an assertion you come to in your mind alone and has no bearance on the actual external reality ah. um so this is very common for someone who may be of a more neo uh worldview which is in turn actually ironically informed by a very kantian form of philosophy
1: oh. uh, Yes. you just firing philosophical shots all over the place. I am.
0: I am. <laughs> if you don't understand what I'm saying, it's okay. I just, I need to say this. So I was reading, <laughs> I was reading this, this book and I, cause again, this is the area, the stuff, some of the, the way he's talking is an area that I've done some, a lot of studying in and the way he's talking about truth is very static. It's in the mind alone. And that faith is an ascent to truth. That is not what the Second Vatican Council says faith is. It's something deeper. It's not just a mental ascent. It's something deeper. It's the scent yeah, of our whole life. But if you throw out Vatican too, then he's right on the money. Exactly. It's true. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of but, a pathology. Yeah. But it's also, they'll say, well, St. Thomas says this, and actually St. Thomas doesn't say this. So um, St. Thomas goes further than this. It's not just an ascent to truth, because if it's just an ascent to truth, then there's no, it's actually kind of a Protestant way of looking at Faith, it uh-huh. offers no real transformation, and so it's not an authentic Catholic view of truth. Uh-huh. And he's been formed by this, and so any any way he looks at truth is going to be um, static, unchanging, and can never really honestly develop. Uh-huh. Uh, this is again formed out of a neo-Thomistic a worldview that struggles with the idea of the development of doctrine. Yeah. So I found that I found that very disturbing in itself. It's not a reason to put it on the index, but again, it actually gives you a snapshot of, um, at least later on in the life of the church, of what was very prominent in the Catholic intellectual tradition for the first half of the 20th century. And so it's helpful to see that, but it also shows you that okay, that might have served us for a while, but it doesn't serve us today. Mm -hmm. Because if I were to talk to people about faith as an ascent to truth today, people would just look at me with glazed eyes and say, what are you talking about? It doesn't address people in their condition today. And that's something that I think the church has done, has been working hard to really understand and address that. You have to take the subjective side of things in people's lives seriously and address the truth to them. So, um, yeah. Well,
1: your philosophical rant... Yes. Means that we can't have Tommy tie on the show today. Ah, uh,
0: darn. Sorry, sorry, Tommy. <laughs> philosophical rant, for Tommy. I'll take philosophical rant. Wow,
1: Tommy, we love you.
0: <laughs> so, um, we—if you like the podcast, please not just leave five stars, write a review. Yeah, uh, say something Apple's, nice. Say something about nice. Father Harrison's philosophy, <laughs> uh, or Father Anthony's hair. Yeah, yeah. You can hear it through the mic. Listen. This is- there, there was. Uh, so please write a review uh, on iTunes, Google Play and anywhere else you find us on podcasting uh you can find us at Clerical Pod, and you can email us at speaking at gmail.com quick note with that we've been getting lots of email, emails and, and dms lately on our accounts it's a very busy time of year for both of us and yep. uh, i think we're both struggling to keep up with things in general so uh, if we don't get back to you it's not that we hate you or anything it's just we ran out of time and again our parishes take first priority but we will do our best to respond okay. um and so i'm and if you like us you can support us on patreon and uh i'm at at fr harrison on twitter i'm at father sharaba and god bless you all peace